I'm Jack Newton, CEO of Clio, and this is the Daily Matters Legal Podcast. This week on the show, we're taking a look back at some of the key themes, ideas, and moments from our first 70 episodes. Each of the next five episodes will focus on a different topic playing a central role in the future of the profession. In today's episode, we'll be recapping how the legal industry reacted to the COVID-19 pandemic and how the coronavirus crisis is changing the practice of law for good. From episode one, Judy Martinez, president of the American Bar Association. And what do you, I, I think we're, you know, familiar with, with many of the, the obvious impacts that, that COVID-19 may be having on, on lawyers, simply having to work from home all of a sudden, not having access to their, their files, not being able to interact with their staff in person, not being able to interact with their, their clients in person as well. Uh, how do, you, how do you see the ABA helping lawyers navigate uh, some of those obvious challenges? And, and I'm also curious to hear, what are some of the, the non-obvious challenges that you see, uh, see your membership and, and lawyers more broadly facing? Well, you know, the ABA was well prepared for uh, this type of uh, incident, not this particular one, but knowing that we would have to step up um, when our members and lawyers across the country needed us so that they could step up for their clients. And we've done that over and over again um, in response to natural disasters that have been uh, felt across the country. And we knew when this came along that we had to do the same. And many natural disasters also not only affect clients, but they affect lawyers in practice. I'm born and raised in New Orleans, so I know firsthand from my experience how disruptive and challenging um, getting not only your own household back up and running, but also your practice back up and running, and at the same time, making sure that you're helping your clients as quickly as possible to get their businesses and their lives back in order. And we also know that people without resources are the ones that are hardest hit. As a consequence, what we're doing in the ABA, we've already started, is and really have rolled out some really, I think, helpful tools and information, is that we are posting uh, not only uh, for our members, but free resources at AmericanBar.org slash disaster for lawyers to help them understand uh, the pandemic, how to respond in a disaster, making sure that we're putting up tools that'll help them in transition. And most importantly, to your point, Jack, about sometimes the hidden impacts, uh, we also have up on our website information about wellness and stress and how to deal and cope on a daily basis with circumstances that are new to lawyers. I can tell you that many a lawyer um, identifies with putting on their suit or their dress or their, their outfit and going to work down at a certain office and taking a certain route down there. And that is now absent from their lives. Just that sense of being out of routine can have impact on individuals. It can create greater stressors. And when you add to that lawyers who care about their staff, who care about their clients, who really want to make sure that they have not only a business to come back to, but a business that they know will be thriving and will get through these hard times is what we're focused on. From episode four, Jordan Furlong, principal of Law 21. With, to cope with. So, so the, the number one impression I get from lawyers in, in law firms of all sizes and from staff members and from people in this industry is that we have to focus on the people, right? And people right now are anxious, they are scared, 
Uh, they are deeply alarmed. They're, they're very worried and they're fearful about what's coming. I mean, I, I said to someone the other day, it, it's like we don't know how much runway we have in front of us because there's this huge thick fog right down to the, right down to the ground. And we don't know what's coming. And, and, and to the extent that we are all as lawyers in the same boat, we need to number one, number one, cut ourselves some slack. And number two, be realistic about how everybody else is doing, right? Because on top of that, on top of you know, us all being really stressed and worried in this cloud of dread hanging over us, we got our kids home with us, right? And they're starting to go stir crazy. And, you know, and, and, it's, and we, we can't go out and see our friends and all this kind of thing. So the, 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 the first thing I think to appreciate is that at most law firms, people and, 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 and the firms and, and legal organizations of all kinds, this is pure triage at this point where we are reactive. We are dealing with the things that are absolutely basic. We are dealing with the lowest hanging fruit, grabbing that and running with it. And after about only two or three weeks, that is all you can reasonably and realistically expect. Uh, and, you know, and the easy stuff is pretty much done, right? You know, it was easy, as it turned out, to get lawyers to work from home. At least half the lawyers working from home right now are delighted they don't have to go into the office, right? It turned out to be easy to have court hearings uh, by, uh, by video, right? Uh, and, and the only reason we weren't doing that is that judges and lawyers and law firms and so forth didn't want to do it a, a new way. Now it turns out that we can. All right, but that was easy. Everything else from this point on is going to be a challenge. From episode 19, Rachel Roche, founder of Roche Legal. You answered part of this in your previous answer, but but I'm curious when you're looking at the unique needs that your clients and their families are going through right now in mm. in relation to the COVID-19 crisis, you know, over and above some of the logistics of getting signatures in a safe in a safe way and and getting witnesses uh, in a safe way, what else are you seeing in terms of what your your clients and your their families are going through and 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 what are you doing to try to best support them through those challenges mm. um obviously we we need to be as sympathetic as as possible to each individual situation because every client's going through this in a different way and will be affected in a different way um, i think for our clients they're looking for reassurance that we can produce documentation timely um, in a timely fashion, which we would do on any way, of course, but I think they want extra reassurance about that. Um, you know, and, and we've been releasing other types of guidance as well to try and help people navigate this really uncertain time. So, um, for example, uh, a week or so ago, I received a, a couple of inquiries from relatives um, who had, um, you know, from people who had relatives in hospital um, and they were wanting some guidance and advice from us in terms of what we have here, DNRs, so do not resuscitate uh, decisions um, and how they are able to be involved or not, as the case may be, in those decisions that, that can be made by the hospital when somebody isn't able to make that decision or have a DNR signed by themselves. So, you know, these are really, really emotive situations that people are going through and even if you're not directly affected at the moment about COVID-19 you you know we're having clients who are very worried for themselves and their family about what could happen um, and so you know I think we're trying to just bring a more human touch to to how we deal with people and I think clients are becoming um, a little bit more open to their legal advisor being a bit more friendly sometimes as well because I think you know sometimes it can be very very 
suited and booted and, and you know, there's tick boxes and forms to fill out and information to get. Right. But I think, um, you know, we've had the best response from clients when we've actually said, you know what, you know, we're all working from home at the moment. It's a little bit different. Just bear with us or we understand what you're going through or we've been there or, you know, whatever. I think it, it's a nice opportunity for lawyers to be really human about this and to, um, you know, show that we're just regular people like them like our clients, you know, and I think that's always been the case, but there is a perception, I think still, um, I don't know what it's like in the US, but in Canada, but here, you know, I think there is still a perception that lawyers are a bit stuffy, um, but this is a good opportunity for, for, you know, people to just be a bit more human and kind about um, everybody's circumstances. From episode two, Aaron Levine, founder and CEO of Hello Divorce. Certainly. Maybe just pulling at that that thread around the the one example used of a client with a unique set of needs. How are you seeing client needs shift and adapt over the the course of the last week and and change that we've been in in, in the midst of the the coronavirus crisis? Have you seen a real? You talked a little bit about their their mindset and maybe a little bit more in the way of anxiety. Um, what else have you seen? You know, on the ground in dealing with your clients and the kind of issues they might be coming to you with. So first of all, I think that people are looking for leaders in their communities to step up and tell them that either things are going to be okay, or if they're not, we're going to be here for them. So I think just sharing that message has been really helpful. Clients have really appreciated it. Emails were great, but direct calls, especially from the principal, the managing attorney, has yielded incredibly positive results. So as an example, we at Levine Family Law Group work off a retainer. In the past, when people didn't pay their bill, we would um, just, I mean, sorry, when their retainer went out, we didn't require them to replenish so long as they paid their bill. But I've been reaching out and saying, look it, I'm sorry, we're going to need you to replenish. We're going to enforce the terms of the retainer agreement because I need to ensure that my team gets paid while we're helping you. And right. there hasn't been one person who said no way unless they truly lost a job or have had their income affected and right. then we're working out different. So that's good. From episode 12, TC Whitaker, law firm solutions leader, PwC. Um, you know, actually, though, interestingly enough, I think one of the things that that is a little bit unique and different about this, it's something that we need to acknowledge. Uh, I have a group of CEOs that I meet with and we meet pretty regularly. Uh, there are 10 of us. And this weekend we were meeting and, and discussing things. And one of the big ideas that we came out of that meeting with was like, listen, there, there's work from home and that's in this bucket. And I do that all the time. You know, if I got something going on family wise or there's some unique need, I can work from home. Yep. What is happening? What is happening right now is not work from home. What is yes. happening right now is that I am working in the middle of a crisis and I am forced to be in my home as well as everyone else inside my company to be forced inside their home. And those are like two very different things. I think that's a super important point, TC. Yeah. And I've, I, I think many people that have always worked from home are also saying to their, their new work from home compatriots, hey, this isn't normal. And, and the kind of psychological stress and everything else yes. that you're dealing with, yes. in addition to the displacement of working from home is an entirely new thing. So don't conflate those things. Don't work, don't conflate work right. from home during a global pandemic and economic meltdown and all the yeah. uncertainty and stress that goes along with that with what the day-to-day -day of working from home looks like. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is, that was one of the kind of the big ideas that we were all circling around and saying, like, absolutely, like, we're all in on this. I think another one that was really interesting was, um, you know, the um, level of productivity. So what, whatever you had in your plan as a leader of your business uh, pre-pandemic in terms of what you were expecting to accomplish, what you wanted your team working on and what you thought you could get done in terms of productivity, like those need to be scrapped and thrown away. And, and business leaders need to rethink, okay, now what do I think that we're actually going to get productivity wise? There's a lot of businesses, um, you know, law firms, the, the ones that we work with and the ones that you work with, where literally courts are shut down. Yep. So if you think you're going to get the same productivity that you would get depending on the type of law you practice, like throw that out the window. Okay. You need to, you need to like restart, wad that piece of paper up and get a new piece of paper out and say, okay, really, what, what is this going to look like now? that we're in the middle of this and, pandemic. And keep layering on top of there, by the way, the courts are shut down, your clients are in lockdown, their businesses have been mothballed for weeks or maybe months. Yep. Uh, so there's, yeah, this, this uh, unbelievable wave of impact starting to hit, hit law firms. From episode 38, Joseph Andrew, Global Chairman of Dentons. And Joe, when you step back and look at your, your global offices, you look at this eventual transition to some sense of, of, of normalcy. What kind of time frame are you exploring for, uh, for that return? And we, we talked about this earlier. We're not returning to normal. We're returning to right. some significantly shifted new reality. Spend a few moments talking about what that new reality looks like sure. and, and what kind of rough time frame you think we're on for in for. Well, I think the first thing it's most important for all of us to recognize is that no successful organization ever goes back. So we don't go back to the office. We don't go back to work, right? We're always going forward. So the question to us is, what does forward look like? What does the future look like and feel? And we know that it's going to be different, and we're trying to diagnose as much about what we think the challenges are in order to be able to provide the service that we call law. And then more importantly, to support our clients who are in every sector that you can possibly imagine and in every location you can possibly imagine. And recognizing those challenges are going to be different by sector and by location, we in turn also have to be willing and able to adapt to whatever that is. So here are some things, I, again, I think we know. Uh, and uh, some of it we've already touched on in this conversation, so I apologize by repeating. But one, we know that whatever trend line our client was faced with before, it's just accelerating. It's happening faster. And we have yep. less time in order to be able to advise the client and less time to consider changes in whatever the client's strategy that may have a legal impact. We've got to actually operate faster than we have in the past. We have to respond to the client faster than we have in the past as well if we have any chance of truly being you know, remaining in the boardroom uh, when all these big strategic conversations are going to be had. So again, and, and that, Joe, that, bef just yeah, to dig ahead. on that one point, I, th I think it's an important one you've made. This maybe presents a new opportunity for a prospective law firms may be able to, to offer to their clients that are experiencing that accelerated transformation. If you do have a macro view across your broader client base that you can, you can share in terms of the lessons you've seen from similar clients in similar, uh, in the same industry or maybe even across industries. No, you're absolutely right, Jack. And again, I, I think what you're going to find is no matter what the size of law firm, that uh, our clients will have less patience. Uh, they are literally going to want to have answers faster. 
uh, and with a higher degree of accuracy, with more specialization, uh, because they themselves are operating in a world where everything has accelerated itself. So the client is operating where everything's accelerated, change is happening around them much faster than it was before. And law firms, you know, first off, lawyers tend to not adapt to change as well as a normal human being does because of our training. You get a group of lawyers together and call it a law firm, that, that's even worse, that's even less likely to adapt to the change that's going on. And yet our clients are experiencing all of this change and expect us to react to it. So right. this disconnect between clients and law firms has the possibility of really growing and becoming more problematic if everyone who is at a law firm doesn't recognize my clients are moving a lot faster, I've got to move faster as well. From episode 21, Richard Susskind, author of The Future of the Professions. Uh, Richard, there's one concept I'd love for you to explore a, a bit more fully before we wrap up. And I, I think one of the ideas you've, you've talked about frequently is this idea that technology and the, the opportunity to present is really to deliver legal services in a way that they were not delivered previously. Um, and and your, your new book, maybe that applies to, to courts equally well. There's an opportunity for them to deliver their service in a, in a completely new way. If you're a law firm in this crisis, looking at the crisis as an opportunity to change the way the, that you work, to change the way that you find and work with your clients. What's your perspective on, on how they should approach that problem and how, from a mindset perspective, they should approach thinking about how they can deliver legal services in a way that maybe it wasn't possible or maybe they didn't think was possible before this, this pandemic set in? It's very hard at this moment to get people to be thinking about this at all. And I think going back to one of my earlier answers, the difference between a good leader and a good manager is uh, great managers will be taking us through the next few weeks. Great leaders will be ensuring their managers are doing this, but will also be looking at the long-term health of the business. These great leaders will also be thinking and sensing that life will be very different. And you're absolutely right. My, the mindset I would recommend is not a mindset that, 2022 will be a streamlined version of 2019. The real opportunities here will be to be delivering services that, or delivering services in a way that weren't possible or perhaps even conceivable in the past. The, the basic method I use here is something called, uh, well, it partly is outcome thinking and partly blank sheet thinking. Outcome thinking is the idea that often best expressed, I think, when you think of medicine, where I tell the tale of giving a talk to about 2,000 neurosurgeons and they asked me to be controversial. So my opening line was, patients don't want neurosurgeons. Gasp an audience. Uh, I said, patients want health. And uh, you might think, I said to them as an AI guy, my background's in AI uh, as well as law, I said, you might think I'm here to talk about robotic surgery and there are huge advances being made there, but we're still using the word surgery there. Uh, uh, but isn't it the case, I said, I don't know, I said maybe 20, 50 years from now, uh, we'll look back and think it's unbelievable we used to cut bodies open. Because right. the future of, of uh, healthcare is non-invasive. Is non and so I said, you're asking the wrong question if you're asking me what's the future of surgery. The question you should be asking is, how in the future will we be solving problems to which surgeons today are the best answer? And that's the same question, sorry, long answer here, but that's the same question that lawyers need to ask. How in the future will we be solving the problems to which lawyers today 
are the best answer. And so what that helps you do is focus on what it is that clients want. Because very often what we think they want is a cheaper, quicker, better version of what they have today. Outcome thinking encourages us to try and get to the equivalent of what health is in medicine. It's a bit of my old story that people want, uh, they don't want power drills, they want holes in the wall. So we've got to be continually asking ourselves, what are the outcomes that clients want? And I say there's two kinds of outcomes that we should be thinking about when we're thinking of this way. There's practical outcomes and there's emotional effects. Practical outcomes are things like, yeah, I want a, I want a contract or I want this dispute resolved or I want to know if I can start trading in Burma or whatever it is. Uh, the emotional effects, we, we ask about far less. Where I do it more and more as a speaker, where I, I think we did this before this conversation. I didn't do it expressly in this way. As a speaker, I often ask, how do you want the audience to feel? Because a managing partner, often when I'm speaking to a partner's conference, will say, I want you to shake them up a bit. I want you to put the, the fear of God into them. Uh, others will say, go easy on them. They're not ready for the, right. the, full, the full throttle. And that really helps me in, because you might say, what's the outcome they want? It's a good speech. But actually, the outcome I want is the emotional, at least a part, is the emotional effects those who've asked me to speak are after. Similarly, we don't do that enough with, uh, with our clients in law. We don't, and you cover quite a lot of this in, in your own book. There's a sensitivity to this issue. It's the empathy point, it's getting right. into their shoes. It's understanding how it is they want to feel at the end of this deal or this dispute. Uh, and what is it they're wanting? Is it inspiration? Is it reinsurance? Is it, I want to right. sleep well at night and so forth. And so uh, the first bit of this question, outcome thinking is to think, backwards from the practical uh, outcomes and the emotional effects that clients want. The other thing I do is this exercise called blank sheet thinking, which is, and I can only give a brief uh, summary of it here, is when you gather together people within your firm and you say, let's start with a blank sheet of paper. Uh, imagine we were building this business from scratch. We didn't have a building, we didn't have technology, we didn't have all the staff. We just have the reputation we have in particular areas and we have the clients. If you had the opportunity to start from scratch, in the knowledge of what technology now can achieve, what kind of business would you build? What people would you have in it? What services would you deliver as between, say, high-end complex service to lower-end or high-volume work? Uh, how much technology would you use and so forth? I have a whole process I go through with this, uh, essentially asking people to imagine a very different world. And what's fascinating is, that almost all lawyers come up with a, a model that's very different from the current model. Uh, and my trick is to say, actually, you've created your vision there. That's your strategy. Because I just think between vision-based strategy and legacy-based strategy, vision-based strategy is having some kind of ideal point in the horizon to which you're all enthusiastically driving. Legacy-based strategy is walking backwards into the future contained and constrained by where you are today where many partners will say of course we are where we are and so there's no point in having having all this airy fairy thinking we've really got to be thinking practically i say forget that for a second but that's not the conflict i don't speak about vision and legacy when i'm doing this exercise i just say imagine you'd a blank sheet and that liberates most lawyers to allow themselves to be vision based so if you think of outcomes and you allow yourself to do a blank sheet exercise, you'll find out you come up with a, a whole different range of services and a whole different organizational structure. And I think you could do both of these exercises online. You don't need to be in the same physical room. So that's what I would do if I were them. 
From episode 13, Mitch Jackson, founding partner at Jackson and Wilson. I wonder if, if for a parting thought, I'd love for you to share uh, something with our uh, audience that would be uh, a piece of advice or some, some inspiration uh, speaking to them either as, as lawyers or, or human beings. Just a, a parting thought uh, before we wrap up. My parting thought is I am so amazed and impressed about watching humanity right now and watching people come together, whether mm -hmm. it's a neighbor next door or someone on the other side of the world connecting you know, on a live video. And I know we're going to be okay as human beings. We're going to come out of this tunnel at the other end and be bigger, better, brighter, and a better community and better world. So my parting thought would be with that in mind, keep moving forward, keep understanding that this is life. This is the journey we're on. And regardless of all the above, we need to get up in the morning and work hard each and every day, as John Wooden would say, to make it every day our masterpiece. So make each day your masterpiece. Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters today, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Bolin, and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider, for supporting this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Clio, please visit clio.com.